As I begin this message this morning, I want you to write down this biblical principle. It comes out of Luke chapter 12, verse 48, but this is a principle that I seek to live my life by. And I pray you'll do the same and you'll connect this to David's life and Mephibosheth's life. But today, and here's the principle, to whom much is given, much is required. So to whom much is given, much is required. And when I think about that verse, the Lord and his people have been so, so good to Angie and me. And so because I've been given so much, then I need to be willing to give back. To whom much is given, much is required. I could share story after story with you. When I was a prospective student at Belmont University, I remember meeting with the dean of the School of Religion and just said to him, I can't afford to come. Uh, we were in ministry, but we weren't making that kind of money at all. And he called me the next day and said, if you're willing to be a student, we'd like for you to be a student here at Belmont. He said, here's the situation. If you'll do it, we've got a family here in Nashville who will pay your way if you'll come. And he said, here's how to work. Every semester, you'll get a bill. You bring me the bill. I'll give it to them, and they'll take care of it. He said, but there is one restriction. And he said, the restriction is, on this side of eternity, they never want you to know who they are. And here it has been a couple decades later, and I still don't know the names or the faces or anything about that family. To whom much is given, much is required. I remember also Dr. Stemple saying to me one day, we've got this mission trip going to happen in Chile and South America. We would like for you to represent Belmont University in preaching a revival in Santiago, Chile. And I said, Dr. Stemple, I, I couldn't afford to do that. He said, well, here's the opportunity. If you will go, there's a person who will pay every cent of your way. It will not cost you anything. I'd never been out of the country, but God used that experience to shape my life and ministry. And God has literally allowed us to travel the globe sharing the good news of Christ. But it started with the generosity and kindness of someone again whom I've never met. To whom much is given, much is required. I'd always desire to travel to the Holy Land and see the footsteps of Christ and see so much of biblical history, but never had the opportunity to do that. And then one day, Angie and I had a couple, just a godly, generous couple, sat down with us and said, we want you to go to Israel. And we want you to walk in the footsteps of Christ. And said, we're going to take care of your way, and here's how it's going to work. And they sent us to Israel, and it changed again our lives. We've led groups and tours to Israel every two years since then. To whom much is given, much is required. Amen. I could share story after story of God's goodness and the generosity of his people. But as I think about uh, being generous back, I want to ask you these two questions, those of us today. When you think about the kindness of God and the kindness of other people, who is showing you kindness to your life? Then the second question is, whom are you showing kindness to in your life? Jason Johnson, about a month ago, we're in, in Denver, Colorado, meeting with one of our church partners, and we had this opportunity when our meeting was about to end, and he was going to go his way, and we were going to go our way. We were in the altar of where they worship at, even this day. We were on our knees and our faces together, praying for one another. It was a holy ground moment for us. And then we finished praying, and I just said to this brother in Christ, uh, about some things about the church and he talked about their church you know they'd taken a salary cut and those type things and he was very sacrificial 
in his words and about his serving Christ and, and pastoring the church. And then I just asked him, they had a number of kids, and I said, tell me, when's the last time you and your wife have been on a date together, just the two of you? And he said, it's been a while. And he said, you know, just funds and those type things. And again, the Lord reminded me, standing there, to whom much is given, much is required. And I share this story not because it makes me look good at all. I just want to be obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord just said to me, you bless this brother and his wife. Send them on a date. And I just pulled out some money and said, I want you and your wife to go on a date. The Lord has been so, so kind to me. And I want to be kind to you. Almost about a year ago, we were in Brazil, and we were standing on the street in Brazil, and there's this homeless guy came up. You're going to see some pictures of him on the screens. Homeless guy came up. His shoes, his flip-flops were in bad, bad shape. Didn't have a shirt on. His real need, though, he was hungry. And so from there, we engaged him in a gospel conversation, and, and from there, we, we gave him a Bible. And when we gave him the Bible, he literally fell on his knees with a picture that you see, clutched the Bible. It was an amazing gift to him. And then we found out he was hungry, and again, he didn't have a shirt on. And so we said, well, let us do this. Let us give you a Bible. We shared the gospel with him. We took him to a restaurant. There's Marcos and him sitting at a table and said, we're going to feed you. We're going to get you a meal and provide you something to eat. And so we did that, and why uh, Chris and myself and, and the missionary, we went to a, a store where they sold clothes, and we bought him some shirts and took them back with him. And there he is at the table, just wanted to give me a hug, and we're there. We, had, we gave him a Bible, we shared the gospel, and we gave him something to eat. We actually had some cake there that morning that somebody had brought from Brazil. We gave him a couple pieces of that. He put it in his hand and literally just almost swallowed the entire piece. He just crammed it in his mouth. He was so hungry. But we said again, to whom much is given, much is required. And so, Lord, you've given us so much. Here's this man who's a brother in Christ, hungry, needs something to eat, clothes, he needs something to wear. So let's get those things for him. Who's been kind to you? And who are you showing God's kindness to in your life? To whom much is given, much is required. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes out of Acts chapter 11, verse 23. And when I think about the grace of God, the church in Antioch, God was moving in Antioch. And so they sent down Barnabas to go to Antioch. And it says when he came, came to Antioch. Here's what happened. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. When he came to Antioch, it says this. He saw the grace of God. Let me ask us, when's the last time in your life you can say, like what Barnabas and openly what Paul's going to experience. When's the last time you saw the grace of God in your life? When's the last time as a church we saw the grace of God as a church? Let me just share this. If you see somebody get saved today, you've just seen the grace of God. If somebody says yes to vocational ministry or serving Christ in some way, you've just witnessed the grace of God. If somebody's going through a storm in life, a series of adversities, and you see them surviving and thriving through that, you have just witnessed the grace of God in action. And so I want you to write this down. Why is God's grace amazing? I want to give you these three blanks. One, he saves. His grace is amazing because he saves us. Some of you may have received this in the mail this, this weekend. Somebody sent a thing to us in the mail. And here's what it said. Are, are you good enough to go to heaven? Truth of, you know, no, you're not good enough to go to heaven. And you know today, and I want to make sure the gospel is communicated. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. 
You know, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Born again people go to heaven. So how do you get saved and forgiven and born again? It's because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, again, sinless, perfect in every way, sacrificed his life on an old rugged cross and shed his blood and gave up his spirit and died, buried in a tomb. But three days later, resurrection morning, he was alive. The tomb was empty. Jesus Christ is the way to be saved and to be forgiven and to know that you're going to go to heaven. It's Christ. And so when you think about the grace of God, why is it amazing? It saves us. Number two, it equips us. If you're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in ministry, you need to do so because of the grace of God in your life. Paul was in ministry because of God's grace. And John 15 just says, again, what do we understand? If you abide in him and he abides in you, well, you can do all these things. But again, apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing. But with him, we can do all things. And so the grace of God equips us. Thirdly, sustains us. The grace of God sustains us. We go through storms, adversities, trials in life over and over and over again. They come to us all. If you love Christ, you'll still go through those. And the way that we sustain in those, the way we thrive in those, is not because of how strong we are, but it's because how amazing His grace is. A dear pastor friend of mine, Dr. Jim Shaddix, Many of you may have listened to his sermons of going through brain cancer at this very moment. Just got news over the weekend about a tumor being there. When they shared the news with him, it was not positive news at all. Did he have a pity party and start moaning and groaning? No, when Dr. Shaddix heard that news, his own family said he started praising God and he started praying for them. It was not on himself, it was ministering to other people. And how could he do that? It is because he is saved by the grace of God, he serves by the grace of God, and he sustains and thrives in the midst of cancer because of the grace of God. That's why Paul could say, when that thorn in his flesh, what? Take it away, take it away, take it away. But what did the Lord say? I'm not going to take it away. Why? Because my grace is sufficient for you. And so as you and I think about the grace of God, why is it so amazing? It's amazing because we're saved by the grace of God. I'm saved today because of God's grace. His grace is amazing because he equips us to serve. I can stand and deliver this sermon. I can serve as your pastor. Why? Because of the grace of God. And I've been through storms, trials, adversities, survived those, thrived in those. Why? Because of the grace of God. His grace is sufficient. I want to invite your attention as we look back now to 2 Samuel chapter 9, this story of David and Mephibosheth. A hard name to pronounce, but what an amazing, amazing story. As I think about the story, sometimes it wants you to think through this, this question, is grace a license to sin? And I hope you understand, grace is not a license to sin. We understand once saved, always saved, perseverance of the saints, but that is not a license to sin. When you and I know Christ and we're walking in faithfulness to him and holiness to him, we don't want to sin, live in habitual sin. We want to walk faithful to him. So grace is not a license to sin. And as I think about the story of grace, it's so amazing. Two of my favorite stories in all of God's word, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. I love the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is chief tax collector sitting up in a tree. Jesus calls him by his name, invites him to come down. Jesus was going to go to his house and literally save him and change his life. Zacchaeus obeyed and the grace of God saved Zacchaeus and changed his life. There's even evidence instead of cheating people, he wanted to give to people. 
And then I love the story in 2 Samuel 9, the story of David and Mephibosheth. I can relate with Mephibosheth in so, so many ways. But it's an incredible story. David had received the grace of God in abundant ways. And because whom much is given, much is required, then David was going to show kindness, grace, favor to somebody of Saul's household for the sake of Jonathan. And it happened to be a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Grace of God. So look at number one, grace seeks us. I want you to write these two words down. And as you look at the scripture, there are many things to say, but, but who or what is seeking us? Look at number one, our enemy. Our enemy is seeking you. Our enemy is seeking us. As you think about what First Peter 5 says, what? You have an adversary, the devil. He, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he can devour. You can rest assured the enemy is seeking your life. You can write this down as well. He's seeking your life. He's seeking your marriage. He's seeking your family. He's seeking this church. He's seeking this nation. And the enemy wants to do everything he can as a roaring lion to destroy you, to destroy your character, your integrity, your faithfulness. He is looking to devour your life. I hope you never realize the enemy is not your friend. He wants to destroy you. And so your enemy is coming after you. And the second one is our father. We have an enemy, but we also have a good, good father who pours out his grace on you and me. And according to John chapter 4, what is the father doing? He is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we have a father who is seeking us on this Sunday and every day of the week that worship would be a lifestyle. When it comes to worship him in spirit and truth, what does that mean? It means that we worship for the glory of God. It means that we worship when we participate. I'm not just a spectator watching somebody else. No, God calls me to participate. So I need to pray. I need to give. I need to sing. I need to listen. I need to respond. God has called me to participate in the heart of worship. But also we find unity. Worship should never divide us. Worship should unite us as God's people. Why? Because the subject, the focus of worship is not us. It is the Lord God Almighty. And so it should unite us. We do it for the glory of God. He calls us to participate in spirit and in truth. And we do that because he calls us to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ for his adoration, exaltation. And when Christ is exalted, he will draw people to himself. So we have an enemy, but we also have a father. And so when you think about this idea of grace, now walk through this text in 2 Samuel 9. And David said, is there still anyone? I want you to focus on the the phrase anyone. It's not anyone who is worthy. It's not anyone who is deserving. It's not anyone who is qualified. Is there anyone? Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, now I don't have time today, but you can go back in 1 Samuel again, and you can see this relationship, friendship with David and Jonathan. David had made some promises to Jonathan back there, and David is going to be a man true to his word. I hope when you make promises to people, when you give somebody a vow to God or to somebody else, and you state them your word, you are true to your word, if at all possible. And so David made that promise to Jonathan, and here he is at this stage here in 2 Samuel 9, asking the question, is there anyone, not someone again who's worthy, deserving, or qualified, is there anyone that I can show kindness to? And the word kindness, I want you to write this down, the word kindness is simply a word that means grace. It's the word hesed. 
H-E-S-E-D. I generally don't quote Hebrew and Greek words, but that is the word hesed. It is one of my favorite Hebrew words that you'll ever read, and it's the word hesed means kindness. Now, when Angie and I lived in Kentucky, we lived in Florida, and I'll say this. I know we're on camera. I can say this now because we've retired this word. When we had a security system, we had to have a, a passcode. And so that way we would set it off every now and then. We'd open the door and the thing would go off. And then they would call us, the security company, and say, what is your password? Our password was the word hesed. We said, nobody in the world is going to have that word other than us. And so they would call us and say, is your house okay? Everything's okay? What is your password? I'd say, my password is the word hesed. And the person would say, we've never seen that word. What does that word mean? I said, I'm glad you asked. It means the kindness and goodness of God. Can I talk to you about how kind and good God is to us? We've retired that word, so you can see that now. But, but again, it's an amazing, amazing word about the kindness and goodness of God. But also in this text, it says again, is there anyone I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And it goes on down. Ziba gets in the conversation, talks about being a servant. And David asks again, is there still not someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. Oh, by the way, king, there is one son of Jonathan. But, but you got to realize he's crippled in his feet. He's got issues. He's got some wounds and scars and injuries in his life. But, but there is still someone. And so the question goes on when David said, now where is he at? And the question comes up, well, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel. And he's at a place called Lodabar. Just right up there when you look at the word Lodabar, you may want to write this down. What does that mean? When you look at the place called Lodabar, Lodabar is a place that means no pasture. But it means there's no food there. It also means there's no communication there. So Mephibosheth, who's injured, he's crippled, he's wounded. He's lame in his feet. He's living in a place called Lodabar. Please understand, Lodabar is not where the tourists would go to. Lodabar is not a place you're going to go sightsee. And when we were in Mexico back last October, we went down this street and there was this car in the middle of the street. And so the pastor said, normally I'd just honk the horn and somebody come out and move that car. But he said, I'm going to back out of this street, back out of this neighborhood. I said, why are we going to do that? He said, you got to realize we're in drug cartel territory. And we don't mess with these people here. And I'm thinking, praise God we don't mess with these people here. And so I imagine if you went to Mexico, you're probably not going to go visit that neighborhood and think, I'm going to go hang out there. So, so nobody went to, to Lodabar. Why would you live in Lodabar? Here's why. You don't have anywhere else to live. And so you end up in Lodabar. But here's the good news. To whom much is given, much is required. David is asking an amazing question. Is there anyone? Well, yes, there is someone. He's lame in both his feet. His name is Mephibosheth and he's living in Lodabar. Here's the good news. I don't know where you live. I don't know what's going on in your life, but God knows your address. He knows where you're at. Even if you're in a place called Lodabar where there's no communication, no food, no pasture, sheep don't even graze in that place, God knows where you are in your life. And then here's the other big question then. How in the world did Mephibosheth get injured in his feet? So I want to invite your attention back here to Second. Second Samuel chapter 4 verse 4. I want to give you from God's word, how did he get injured? How did he get crippled? How is he lame? Second Samuel chapter 4 verse 4, Jonathan the son of Saul had a son who was crippled in his feet. 
He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. So people are probably being killed. And they thought they very well may lose their lives. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. That's the story. Grace seeks us. Today I want to ask you. You understand this idea of grace? You understand this idea of living in Lodabar in a place where nobody goes, there's there's no food, there's no pasture. And you find yourself there, why? Because you're crippled, you're lame. And he's there, why? Because someone dropped him when he was five years old. And he's been injured all the days of his life. As I look around at kids and students and adults, I wonder if us who would say today, I'm where I'm at in my life today because someone in my life dropped me. Someone let me fall. I look back at my life and the Lord's been so good to me, so kind to me, but I could look back at my life and say, sure, I've got injuries and wounds and scars. You know why? Because someone in my life earlier on as a kid or as a teenager or even an adult even in ministry, someone dropped me somewhere. I wonder how many of you today just need to be honest with God and maybe honest with somebody else and to say the reason I am as I am in life is because someone back there in my life, I was a kid or I was a student, even as an adult, could have been a parent, could have been a grandparent, could have been a teacher, could have been a husband, wife, spouse, who you name the person, and to say he or she dropped me and I've got wounds and scars and injuries and I've never recovered from being dropped. I wonder how many of us would say that. But here's the good news. You may have injuries, you may have wounds, you may have scars, but God is seeking you. That's how amazing grace is. Mephibosheth in a place called Lodabar, you just wouldn't go there. The only reason you live there, you don't have anywhere else to go. And all of a sudden, what? Mephibosheth hears a knock at his door. And he opens the door and the servant says, I want you to know, Mephibosheth, David wants an audience with you. Can you imagine that conversation? David, the king, wants an audience with you. The word there says, do not fear. I would imagine Mephibosheth feared for his life. But the message of grace says you don't have anything to fear. What did they say to the shepherds? Don't want you to fear. I bring you good news of great, great tidings to be for all the people. So Mephibosheth, you don't have anything to fear because David is going to bless you, not hurt you. Grace seeks us. Number two, grace searches us. And I just say as I look at 2 Samuel 9, there are many of us today And we could go through storms and adversities and trials and we could talk about people who've dropped us in life and the injuries and the wounds and the scars we've got from all that. And we have survived all those things. You know why? Because of the goodness, the kindness, and the grace of God we survived it. I look back at this church, almost 194 year history as a church. There have been significant mountaintops in this church. There have been significant valleys in this church. 
And I could see how this church is thriving this very day. And you say, why is that the case? It is because of the goodness, the kindness, and the grace of God to this church. He's good. And let me just go a little bit further again. When I think about how God works, there are no accidents in life. There are no coincidences in life. Please understand this. You and I are not lucky in life. We are recipients of the grace and the goodness and kindness of God in life. He is so, so good and kind to you and me. He's so gracious to you and me. And so we see that, that grace seeks us, but grace searches us. Now I want, to, I want you to turn to Psalm 139 just for a moment. Psalm 139, and I want to encourage you today in this service. I, when we prayed today, we talked about decisions today, what decisions need to be made. I wonder how many of us in this room today, how many people watching somewhere around the world would be able to look at Psalm 139, beginning verse 23, and pray this prayer today. If grace is seeking us and grace searches us, how many people are willing to pray this prayer? And here's what the psalmist said. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How many of us today are willing to pray that prayer just to say, Oh God, who knows everything, you, you, your presence is everywhere. Search me and know me. How many of us are willing to do that? How many kids today are willing to come honestly before God say, God, I don't have many years in life, but God, would you search me? How many students would be willing to come before a holy God and just say, God, search my heart and make sure you know me and make sure I know myself. How many of us adults are willing to pray this prayer? Search me, O God, today. See if there is any grievous way in me so that, God, I can deal with it. I can confess it and find forgiveness in you. Now here again, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We find this knock at the door. Mephibosheth goes to the door and all of a sudden the message is David wants an audience with you. And so we look in to see how did that story end and what happened from there. Then Mephibosheth leaves Lodabar. Folks, there's going to be a time when the grace of God seeks you and the grace of God searches you. But the message is you don't need to stay in Lodabar. Get your toothbrush. Get some of your belongings. You're going to leave Lodabar. You're going to the king's palace. You don't have anything to eat in this place, but all of a sudden you're getting a, a seat at the king's table for the rest of your life. That's how amazing the grace of God is. That's how he's searching you and me in life. And so as we think about that, two words I want to give you, when grace searches us, what does it do? The first word positions us. When Mephibosheth came to David, what did he say? I am your servant. He didn't talk about how glorious he was. He didn't give all of his credentials. He just classified himself as a servant. I hope you and I understand we are servants in Jesus Christ. Now, if you ever go to Patty's old country settlement or town, whatever that is, and you go up there and eat the pork chops and that pie's got that moraine on it that's about a mile high. Doesn't that sound good right now to get a pork chop and some of that good pie up there? But if you ever go there and you walk around that settlement, you'll walk down to that little farm they've got. They've got some animals and here's an animal you're going to see down there and it is a peacock. Those peacocks aren't very big, but when they spread those feathers, they look bigger than what they are. And so when I look at that peacock, I realize, God, when you saved us, you didn't save us to strut around. You saved us that we would serve you. That's his call on your life. And so Mephibosheth here, he's not strutting around like a peacock. Look how great I am. He's saying, Lord, I am your servant. David, I am your servant. 
positions us that way. Number two, it provides. When you look at Mephibosheth, what was the word? David said to him, now Mephibosheth, I'm going to give you a seat at my table for the rest of your life. Mephibosheth is not for the weekend. It's not for six nights and seven days. It's for the rest of your life. That's how God provides. That's how amazing the grace of God is. He provided for Mephibosheth the rest of his days in life. Imagine going from Lodabar, where there's no food, there's no communication, there's no bread. All of a sudden, you're sitting around the king's table where you have the choice of everything. That's the goodness, kindness, grace of God in action. To whom much is given, much is required. And church, when I look at this idea of provides, when I walk into my closet, let me change, when I walk into closets and I look at the clothes I've got, that is the grace of God to me in life. When I get in the car and pull out of the garage and drive here and do pastoral visits and those things, when I look at the car I drive, that is the grace of God in life. When I think about my conversion story, sitting on those basement steps as a little boy and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me and save me, and I came out of that basement saved, forgiven, redeemed, born again, that is the grace of God in my life. When I look at the call of God on my life, not a career choice, but the call of God on my life, and when I said yes to this call, God, whatever you ask, we will do it, that is the grace of God in my life. And when I step into this pulpit and other pulpits that I've been a part of in my ministry and God called me to serve in those places, I did so. Why? It was the grace of God in my life. God will position you and God will provide for you. But make sure you understand the goodness of God, his grace, his mercy, and his kindness to you and to me. So grace seeks us, grace searches us, but number three, grace sanctifies us. The word sanctify means what? It means to be set apart. So David was setting Mephibosheth apart, sanctifying. Two things here I want to see. One, inspiring words. Now, we don't have time to go into this, but Ziba had a little mean streak in him, and he said some things about Mephibosheth that weren't right. He even gave indication that Mephibosheth wanted to take the throne. Absalom gets involved in the story we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. That doesn't end well. And then David flees. He, he leaves. But then all of a sudden one day, David comes back. And the word is that, that David is back, and we see this in Second Samuel 19. David is back, so he has a conversation with Mephibosheth, and he says this to Mephibosheth. I'm going to divide this real estate up, and I'm going to give half to Ziba, and I'm going to give half to you. And I love what Mephibosheth said. I mean, the king has been gone. Now the king is back. And what did Mephibosheth say? He said, David, I don't, I don't want half of that stuff. All I want... David is you. I'm just thankful you have returned safely home. Folks, we've got a lot of stuff in this world. We've got storage facilities because we've got so much stuff we don't know what to do with it. But I hope at the end of the day we anticipate the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I pray we can say, Lord, thank you, yes, for the cars and the clothes and everything else. It's, you're so good to us. But Lord, at the end of the day, what I really want is you. You are enough for me. Inspiring words. That's what Mephibosheth said. David, I just want you. One day we're going to hear that trumpet sound. The Lord Jesus is going to return. And we're going to be reunited with him forever and forever and forever. 
Number two is a touching scene. Can you imagine as a story where he said to him on different occasions, you'll eat at David's table the rest of your life. Can you imagine when dinner time comes and David is at the table? Can you imagine what that scene would have been like? Can you imagine being at the table and they, they've got the food on the table and he's been in a place called Lodabar, no food, no pasture, no communication. All of a sudden you get to go to the king's table in the palace to eat. David, I would imagine, sitting at the head of the table. Amnon's around the table. Tamar's around the table. Solomon's around the table. Absalom's around the table. And can you imagine the scene? Somewhere, Mephibosheth makes his way from wherever he's at. And he comes in, probably not walking very well because he's lame in both feet. And he comes and he sits at his place at the table. That's amazing. That's the grace of God. And I just have this imagination in my mind that when Mephibosheth is sitting at the table with David, David's kids, and here's Mephibosheth there, he looked as normal as the rest of them. Why? Because because of this amazing table, I'm sure, you couldn't see his lame feet. He's sitting at the table. That's the grace and kindness of God. I want you to understand this too. When you look at how God works, he blessed Mephibosheth, but he never healed Mephibosheth. That's why the text ends, what it said when it ends. He was, he was lame in both his feet. He blessed him, but he never healed his feet. And that may be true in our lives as well. Amazing, amazing scene. When I wrote that devotional, and the week that's coming up, one of the one of the days in there is preparing your funeral message in one of the devotional days. And I wonder for us today, as you think about this, what's going to be said at your funeral about you? Can you imagine what would have been said about David? Wonder what his kids maybe maybe they were jealous, like what's he doing to Mephibosheth? Why is he at this table? Why is he eating the same food that we get? We're his children. Mephibosheth is not. Why is that? But maybe, the word was, just look how kind and gracious and loving our father is. What an amazing man. What amazing life. I hope when somebody stands at your funeral and shares some words, they'll talk about your relationship with Christ. They'll talk about your obedience to him, that he was the Lord of your life and you followed him. But I pray they will say, he or she received much and he or she gave much because to whom much is given, much is required. My dad, my mom, whatever it is, very kind, very gracious, and very loving. What an incredible story that would be. I want us to bow our heads together as we pray and what decisions need to be made in this room or those who are watching online at this very moment? I just want to encourage you because of the grace of God, if you need to get saved today, born again today, forgiven today, we're going to sing Amazing Grace in just a moment. Why don't you just start right down the aisle and say today's the day. I, I don't, I'm not resisting. I'm not delaying. I'm not procrastinating. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Why don't you come right at this very moment?
How many in this room, you need to be baptized in obedience to Christ and you've put it off and you put it off and you put it off. Why don't you say today, the grace of God is pursuing me. I'm not going to put it off anymore. I want to say yes to him. What about joining this church? Some in this room, some in the balcony, some on the lower level. You, you need to join this church. I mean, this is clearly where God wants you at. Why would you do it today? We don't have tomorrow. We don't have next Sunday. Why not today to say, yes, Lord, now, this, is where, this is where we are. This is where you called us to. We're going to unite our lives with this family right here today. Why don't you come today? And how many of you may be living in Lodabar? Someone dropped you in your life. You've got injuries and wounds and scars, but you need to come and say, Lord, thank you for pursuing me with your grace. And Lord, I want to experience the fullness of your grace in my life. All that you've called me to be. Why don't you come to him? We're going to pray. We're going to sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why don't you just come and fill up this altar today with just words to say, God, thank you for the saving grace, the equipping grace, and even the grace that allows me to survive. And just thank him for it. He wants you to have a seat at his table for the rest of your life. Now, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for extending grace to us. And Lord, because you have given us so much, we need to be willing to give in return. So Father, let us receive, but let us give. And thank you for this invitation. As we sing about amazing grace, I pray we'll make decisions as your Holy Spirit leads today. And we will celebrate your goodness, your kindness, and your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.